0: Very grateful to um, Ian who spoke last week on forgiveness. Always a challenging subject, and um, I'm sure left us with lots of things to think about. We're in this series about Jesus' heart, and we spent a lot of time in Ecclesiastes thinking about the teacher and what the teacher taught us. So now we're looking at the life. Thank you, of the teacher. And today we come to a compassionate heart. If you have a Bible, you might like to have it open and ready at Matthew chapter 8. I will get there eventually. Matthew chapter 8. If you've ever been there, you'll probably never forget it. It's not a place, though. It's not one of the world's beautiful cities with a rich history and a heritage it's not a place where there are lots of stories in every building it's not a place where there is intrigue and mystery surrounding the memory or the portraits but if you've been there you'll probably never forget It's not a beautifully designed, architecturally inspiring building that you might visit. It's not a building that provokes discussion as to its design genius or faults. It's not a building that inspires thoughts of building one's own building in a similar manner. It's not a building that creates an ideal in your, in your mind and evokes thoughts of how you'd really like to live. But if you've been there, you'll probably never forget it. It's not a holiday destination. That's the choice of anyone who can afford it. It's not a beach surrounded by palm trees or a lagoon with emerald water. A bay stretching as far as the eye can see with white untrodden sand. It's not a local hut secluded from the rest of the world, languishing in its own time zone where nothing matters. It's not a plush hotel, five-star hotel with all the trimmings where absolutely nothing is too much to ask or expect. But if you've been there, you'll probably never forget it. It's not a geological feature, the top of a mountain or the bottom of a ravine or a cave or an underwater paradise. But if you've been there, you'll probably never forget it. It's not somewhere you can go. It's not something you can do. It's not something you choose. But if you've been there, you'll probably never forget it. And the truth is that probably most of us have been there at one time or another. Interestingly, though, we wouldn't wish it on anyone. And we wouldn't choose to go there ourselves. But shockingly, it is true that sometimes we are the reason that others go there. And if you've been there, you'll probably never forget it. The challenge is, if we choose to live like Jesus lived, then actually no one has to go there. The story we have recorded for us tells us the ending. Allow me to tell the story perhaps from nearer the beginning. It was probably one of the most dreaded diseases of its time. No one really understood it or how you contracted it. Nobody knew how to cure it. Everyone feared it and the consequences it would reap for whoever was unfortunate enough to have it. He was a real family man who worked hard to put food on the table for his family. One year during the harvest, his grip on his scythe seemed weaker. He'd always been strong, but his stomach had that feeling that something wasn't right. The tips of his fingers began to feel numb. Then the fingers themselves, until his grip on his scythe was weak until, frighteningly, he could hardly feel the tool in his hand. By the end of the season, he could feel nothing at all. He had that strange sensation that the hand holding the scythe might as well have belonged to somebody else. He said nothing to his wife, of course. He didn't want to worry her or alarm her. He was worried that she'd already noticed since he'd tried not to use his hand if he could. But she'd said nothing. The day came when they, he, had to face the truth. Plunging his hand into a basin of water, the water reddened, the finger was bleeding freely. Aware he'd felt nothing, he realised he must somehow have cut his finger on a knife, a piece of metal, something. His wife's voice startled him. It's on your clothes too. Standing behind him, he turned to see the worried look on her face. He followed her gaze to look at his robe. Spots of blood turned his white robe crimson. For the longest time, they looked into each other's eyes. Finally, she asked. Shall I go with you to the priest? No, he replied, I'll go alone. As he stood there, his mind in a whir, his three-year-old daughter came into the room. He bent down and he stroked her cheek with his good hand, fully aware that it might be the last time he would ever touch her face. His wife touched him on the shoulder, hardly able to back, hold back the tears. The priest only did what he had to he didn't actually say the words but he told the man he was from this moment on on the outside with that one statement whatever the words the man lost his family his farm his friends his future he met his wife at the city gates she came with a bag of clothes she gave him some bread, some coins, neither of which would last very long, but it was all she had. Friends had gathered to show their, their pity, fearful pity. They, like everyone at that moment, were more concerned about his skin than his heart. And from that moment on, that's how it was. People were more concerned with what they could see than with his heart. He repulsed those who looked at him, drew their, drew their fear in harsh and unkind words, sometimes the throwing of stones. Gnarled hands, parts of fingers missing, parts of his ears and nose too. Children would hide their faces, fathers grab their children, mothers turn away if they happened to see him. Rags couldn't hide his sores, nor the rap on his face, the rage in his eyes. He had done nothing to deserve this. Some people thought he must have sinned, others his parents. Didn't matter to him. He was the outcast, the one on the outside. And that bell around his neck was just a constant reminder of what he already knew and others were quick to remind him of. Desperate to see if he could catch a glimpse of his daughter, he walked down the road to the village. He had no intention of entering, he knew the rules. All he wanted to do was catch a glimpse of her playing, maybe see his wife, perhaps his fields. He didn't, but he did see the children run away and hide, pointing and laughing. He just wanted to be again a father, a farmer, a husband, a man, a leper was, of course, the ultimate symbol of the outcast. Infected by a condition he didn't seek, rejected by those he knew, avoided by people they didn't know, condemned to a future impossible to bear. Forced to face the truth that life would never be the same again. And banished to a place they would never forget. How many, I wonder, have been to that place? How many made outcasts because they contracted leprosy? But how many more, I wonder, who have never contracted leprosy or anything like it? Banishment of a leper today to us seems harsh Perhaps even unnecessary. But a person who doesn't a person doesn't need to have leprosy, do they, to become an outcast? The child of a broken home. The child labelled among friends because his dad is an alcoholic. The the boy with the ears that are too big. The girl with the misshapen face. The parents who've suffered the trauma of a divorce. The man who's lost his job and feels unable to provide for his family. Those considered uneducated. Those with a different sexual orientation. The simple... Those with a disability, the terminally ill, those in a nursing home, those who don't share your theology. We are really good at building walls to keep people out or not allow them in so that we can't see them or hear them or notice them. And how many outcasts are there who perceive they don't fit? So they exile themselves. How many, I wonder, are closer to home than we would know or like to think? Maybe there are some of us here today, maybe you. These are people who live quiet, lonely lives, infected by the fear of rejection. Perhaps they even tried really, really hard to fit in, but now that in in itself is even a painful memory. And if you've been there, you'll probably never forget it. Sometimes people choose to remain on the outside rather than risk being hurt again. It was the bleakness of the man's future that made him do it. It was a risk, no doubt. But what did he have to lose? Either he would be made to look foolish or he would be healed. In truth, he wasn't so much moved by any kind of faith more by his desperate anger. Five years of leprosy had proved almost unbearable. Anyway, he figured out that if God had brought this calamity on him, then God could fix it or end it. So he went to find the Judean, as he'd heard him called. He went angry, but that soon changed when he met the man called Jesus. Somehow he knew instantly he saw Jesus That Jesus hated this disease just as much as he did. Somehow he knew, even before Jesus spoke, that he cared. And in those moments, his rage became trust and his anger turned to hope. Hiding behind a rock, he waited until Jesus was almost next to him. He jumped out. Master! Jesus stopped, turned and looked, along with the crowd following him. A murmur of fear spread through the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children hid. Unclean! Somebody shouted. Everyone stepped back. Apart from Jesus. He stepped toward the leper. The last person to do that was his wife. Five years before. Lord, if you want to, you can heal me. If he'd done it with a word, the man would have been thrilled. If he'd done it with a prayer, he would have rejoiced. But he reached out and touched him. I will, he said, be healed. No one had touched him in five years because he was a leper. Matthew chapter 8 records it this way, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses as a testimony to them. What an understatement. Jesus touched him when nobody else would. Jesus valued him when nobody else would. Jesus saw his potential when nobody else would. Jesus breathed hope when nobody else would. Jesus showed love when nobody else would. Jesus had compassion when nobody else did. Jesus recognised that although this leper was unworthy of the touch of a man, he was worthy of the touch of God. Interestingly, the disease was banished by Jesus' words. His loneliness, though, was treated through the touch of Jesus' hand. Friends, whose life can you touch? Whose life can you show compassion toward? If you've ever been on the outside, it's a place I'm guessing you'll never forget. Can who, to whom can you step forward when everybody else is stepping back? To whom can you reach out when others withhold? What do you have to offer? Is there someone you can sit with? Spend time with? Hold their hand through their darkness? Is there someone you can pray with And four, and ask them what they desire God to bring in their life. You could send a card, write a letter, type an email, tweet a tweet, make a phone call. Sometimes our hearts are good. But we are so afraid of doing the wrong thing, so we do nothing. Perhaps the challenge of this story is that a compassionate heart reaches to those on the outside. And when we choose the way of love, when we choose to be like Jesus... We will do more and more the things that Jesus did. And if you were ever there, or if you're there now, whatever it is, what you need is what Jesus did. You need a heart. Of compassion. Perhaps what you need this morning is simply the touch of God on your heart. And the truth, friends, this morning is that you are very welcome in the presence of the King. And his heart of compassion. Is here present this morning. But here's the rub, friends. You know that thing about glory? The way God most often makes himself known in community is through community. You have a piece of paper, I hope, as you came in this morning. It's not complicated, it's not clever. You might choose to use it, you might not. <clears throat> Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. And then I wrote these words, in response to the challenge of Jesus' heart of compassion, I commit this week too. that's just simply an opportunity if you wanted to use this, to write something you commit yourself to doing this week to show your heart of compassion towards somebody else. You can take that piece of paper home if you want to. Just to remind you that that's what you said you'll do. I resolve in my heart, this is what I'm going to do. And sometimes we walk away and we forget, don't we? Uh, You could, if you wanted to, just come and wrap it up and put it at the foot of the cross on the floor here. Is it just a a way of saying to God, that's what I want to do and that's my offering? You can write nothing in there. You don't have to do it at all. But Jesus reached out his hand and touched his man, this man because of a heart of compassion. So as we spend some time in prayer and as we continue to worship, the invitation simply is this. Allow God to touch your heart with his heart of compassion. I'm going to um, lead us as we pray this morning i'm going to we did this on Wednesday morning I'm just going to come down in a moment and light a candle you might not be able to see it uh, but it's here on the table and it it's really there just to symbolize that what we often read at Christmas the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't put it out or cannot overcome it depending on which translation you read that God's light shines today now maybe that's a way of remembering a number of things. It might be a way of remembering that the light shines in the darkness of this last week that we've experienced and we've watched it. And, and today there are people suffering dreadfully because of what happened. But the, line shi- the light shines in the darkness. It might be a symbol that the light of Christ's compassion shines in your heart. And it's a reminder to reach out to others. It may be this morning that you are in that place and what you most need is someone to pray with this morning and ask for God's touch on your life. And this might be a reminder that in your darkness the light still shines. And if you want to, as we continue, as we pray, as we worship, you can come and sit in the chairs over there and someone will come pray with you. They'll consider that a privilege to do that this morning. So I'm going to like this and I'm going to lead us in a few prayers. There'll be lots of space this morning. If you want to lead us in prayer, speak it out. We can say amen, which just means I agree. And we'll pray together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you, the almighty King of the universe, have called us out of darkness to be children of light. The bright light of your presence scatters the darkness within us and is a guide on our journey. We rejoice this morning that in Christ we know that light is stronger than darkness and life is stronger than death. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us and the whole church to have the courage to proclaim the good news And to show compassion to all people. And Father, this morning, we remember all those people who perhaps as a result of the atrocities of this last week are suffering in doubt this morning, those who are struggling with their faith. We pray too for those who may have lost their faith. And right now walk in darkness. Lord, we ask that you would come lighten our darkness. And Father, this morning we bring before you the troubles and dangers of peoples and nations, the war torn and the world weary. We ask your blessing this morning upon communities seeking to rebuild their lives in peace and hope. We pray for rulers, governments and leaders of people that they will strive for justice and peace. Lord, we ask this morning that you would come and lighten our darkness. Father, we ask that you bless our homes with the light of your presence. We pray for our loved ones and friends, for our neighbors and our community. May the bright light of Christ shine within us and scatter any darkness that is around us. Lord, we ask that you would lighten our darkness. We remember today all of us struggling with illness or with fear. We ask your blessing on all those we know who are in hospital. And we remember again all those injured in the atrocities in Manchester. We pray this morning for all who are fearful of the future. And Father, we pray especially for those who have lost loved ones this week. And we pray too for those who've lost loved ones recently that we hold in our hearts. Lord, we ask you to come lighten our darkness. And we remember today all those who know they are dying. We pray for those who care for them. May they trust in you, the light of the world, and in your eternal life. Father, we thank you this morning for the truth and the power of the words we read. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We lift these prayers to you this morning, trusting that for the glory of your kingdom, you hear us when we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I um, don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you why I've chosen the songs that we're now going to sing. just so want you to understand what I think might be happening. It might not be happening, but I'm hoping it will be. You have a chance now if you want to. There's pens at the front here. Um, come and write something. You can either put it at the foot of the cross down here. You can take it home. You can ignore it. But the first song is Beautiful Lord, Wonderful Saviour. It's, it's, it's asking God the potter to come and take my life and mould it. It's a song that says, I give my heart back to you. And I trust that you can take it and use it for the glory of your kingdom. The second song we're going to sing is Oceans. This is the one about walking on the water and having faith. And the deeper we go, the more we have to trust on God. And it may be that whatever you've written on a piece of paper or hold in your heart is going to be a massive step of faith for you this week. Because your fear usually stops you doing it. And you've made a commitment this morning to go and be compassionate in some way. Show someone God's heart. And that song encourages you and invites you to trust in God. That the deeper you go, the harder it is, the more you have to trust in him. And that's a good place to be. And then we're going to close with a song that just asks God to build his kingdom here in this place. So please use this time. To sit, sing, write, talk, chat, pray. Come and sit here. This is the time that God is going to continue to do whatever it is that God has begun in your heart and mind this morning.